You're listening to Critical Mass Radio Show, Final Fridays live from Brandman University. This show is live in front of an audience of CEOs and executives from the Southern California business community with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show, Final Fridays live from Brandman University. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This show is being broadcast in front of a live audience from the Irvine campus of Brandman University. We host this show on final Friday of each month. Our studio shows air live on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. and Thursdays at our special time of 3 p.m. All of our shows can be heard live on Internet radio station octalkradio.net. Round of applause. OCTalkRadio.net is Orange County's only community radio station. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, we encourage you to listen to the live shows during our broadcast time. This show is brought to you by our advertisers, Brandman University, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, Smart Business Magazine, Succession Strategies, and our newest sponsor, Center Club. A special thank you to Brandman Business Society for providing lunch today. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience of CEOs of middle market companies, to make better business decisions by listening to the concepts and the ideas presented by our panel. The topic today, exploring the role of technology in the future of higher education. Let's get started by asking each of our panelists to provide a brief introduction and a little bit about their background. I'd suggest we start with Nancy Salzman. She is Dean of Extended Education at Brandman University. Dr. Salzman, would you go first, please? Sure. Thank you so much, and good afternoon to everybody. I am the Dean of the School of Extended Education at Brandman University. And um, the School of Extended Education is very lucky to work across all of the other university and with all of the other university schools. We have programming that provides both professional development, workforce development, and academic credit. We're very, very excited and proud of an award we just recently received, the Global Excellence Award for our leadership programming, which we provide for corporations, governmental entities, military, other organizations. Um, We were ranked ninth out of 154 schools. So... um, Kudos to that particular division and team out of our school. Thank you, Dr. Salzman. It's great to have you on the panel. Our next panelist is Sigmund Fitke. He is CTO of Chick Labs, LLC. Sigmund, would you give us a background and introduction to yourself, please? Thank you. Hi. I am a disruptive high-tech CTO. Uh, I have over 45 products to my name, and I'm always looking for what's new. Uh, Chick Labs is an incubator that uh, helps startups really focus their product and their company on getting funded. And I describe myself as an unrepentant learner and a passionate uh, connector and a collector of anything new. Welcome and thank you to be on the panel. A returning panelist who is Associate Dean of Brandman University is Kathy Margolin. She was on our panel earlier this year, and she's back to give her insights on the topic of exploring the role of technology in the future of higher education. But for those who may not have heard your introduction last time, Kathy, could you give us a little bit of your background? Uh, Yes. I'm uh, Kathy Margolin. I'm the Associate Dean of Business and Professional Studies. My background is actually computers and accounting. I'm actually a CPA. 
I know everybody says numbers. Ooh. Anyhow, uh, but I work at Bradman University and we're the leader in adult education. And we've recently won a number of U.S. News and World Report uh, awards for our undergraduate and graduate programs. Uh, we're currently launching a competency based education program, which is a new and different uh, modality for people who have some prior learning knowledge and they don't have to sit in a classroom. So we're always into new things, and I love technology. Thank you, Kathy. And for those of you that are listening to us live today on octalkradio.net or maybe as a podcast off of iTunes or Stitcher or our newest podcasting site, Spreaker, you can find the interview that I, doc- I did with Dr. Dean Worthington earlier this year. I believe it was in April or po- – yeah, I think it was in April where we talked about the competency-based education program here at Bradman. I encourage you to listen to that our interview as well. Last but not least on our panel here in the room is Pam Hirschberger. Pam is the VP, is VP of Content with Flat World Education. Pam, would you give us an introduction? And you win the prize for being the panelist who's traveled us the furthest. She's come from the East Coast to be here today with us. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really, really excited to be here. And, yes, I'm Pam Hersberger. I'm the Vice President of Content at Flat World Education. And my background, I started in traditional college publishing, textbook publishing. Been doing that for uh, between 15 and 20 years. And I came to Flat World Education when they were known as Flat World Knowledge. And they were an open source digital textbook company. And I've been thrilled to be part of the evolution of the company, which has gone from a wonderful disruptor to try and really break the uh, to uh, to fix a broken industry where the price of textbooks are too high and they were very static, uh, old-fashioned kind of medium. And so it's been really really exciting to be part of the evolution where Flat World has taken a product and made it digital first, completely customizable, and we've moved into being a platform company. So we have our very high-quality peer-reviewed content in a wonderful platform that's taking personalized learning to scale. Thank you, Pam. Throughout the history of Critical Mass Radio Show, and we've been on the air for over five years, done oh, countless interviews, over 800 different interviews. Uh, this live format is something new for us. We're excited to have not only people in the studio, but also those of you listening to us live and, and online. We've always talked about the cost of something and how technology can be a disruptive influence to change the basic structure of an industry. And I guess you could consider higher education as an industry here, not only in the United States, but it's a global industry, and one that has seen and experienced significant price increase over the years to the point where many people are finding it difficult to leave college with less than a significant debt burden. Uh, many of you know the statistic that there's more college debt now in the United States than credit card debt, and that's, a, that's something to be concerned about, not only as a citizen of this country, but clearly if you're an educator, what does that mean to your pool of available prospects who can come and afford your programs? So I'd like to start, Sigmund, with you. If you could start having a little bit of a conversation around what do you see as a current trend in new technology as it relates to higher education? Well, um, okay. Uh, in this Internet-connected world, um, the two things that I see that really have the strongest effect are connectivity and access. Uh, I heard a great story about access. Uh, someone said, well, if my, years ago, if my kid asked me, are there pygmy goats? I would look at him and say, I guess we'll never know. Uh, <laughs> and now you look it up immediately. You can find, inf- you have access to information we never had access to before. And so 
the information that you need to get to is there. Um, and on connectivity, right now I could help somebody with a problem in Australia. I could, um, th there's a thing where they're tracking virus um, expansion through tweets. And not that people tweeted, said, but I don't feel well. They, they actually, uh, um, there was a study where they actually watched a virus, how it progressed through a community by, by tweets, by Twitter responses. So there's a lot of crowd knowledge, a lot of crowd support. There's a lot out there. Um, it's not all true. There's also the great quote from Abraham Lincoln that you can't trust everything you see on the Internet. So, um, <laughs> got to remember from, that from one. Abraham Lincoln. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> so, but but the connectivity, the connecting people together, people expecting to connect with each other, is one of the biggest parts on on uh, technology today and how it affects uh, learning. And then, like I said, access to information. So those would be the two. We started grouping people together for things with the industrial revolution, for from factories to universities. But I think we're going back to small groups, to, to connected groups, where you used to learn from one person. You used to become a, um, uh, I've lost the word now, but you become you know a, a, an intern for somebody. And now I think we're headed back toward that, where it's a more uh, distributed method. I think those are the major parts. So you're, you're talking about the days when we had apprentice people who would apprentice, study. Thank who you. would study beside. I could have looked that up online. Right. You would. Yeah. The <laughs> there's, no, there's no reason yeah. in this day and age for not knowing anything, anything right? right. Yeah, exactly. The exactly. internet has the answers. Maybe a variety of them. Well, maybe a variety of them, but then I think, and that's where I think learning has to go with the new technology is, is discernment over facts. Mm -hmm. You need to learn how to, how to uh, use that access the information, how to evaluate the information versus just how to read and regurgitate the information. Right. Thank you, Sigmund. We're going to come back to you a little later in the interview. We appreciate you being the first one in the, on the panel to have an opportunity to speak. I'd like to turn our attention now to Pam Hirschberger. As we said, she is VP of Content for Flat World. You know, Pam, many higher education institutes are now turning online to online tech textbooks and that that has always been a challenge for education in that are they still valid what do you do with them after you after you use them for your course are they even do they have any intrinsic value after that i'm wondering can you talk about from what you know in this area what's the trend relative to textbooks for higher education i'm happy to address that that's definitely right where i live um, so there's been talk of online textbooks for years uh, the textbook, the print textbook's going away. The print textbook is dead. Everybody's heard heard that uh, for years and years. And um, and really, what we're we're seeing it evolve, and it's really really a pivotal time right now because uh, companies are doing online textbooks. But what's been happening is the traditional publishers have taken their print textbook and and essentially taken a picture of it, made it a PDF, and put it online. And so it's really a static rental of a, of a traditional textbook. And, and it is certainly a significant savings from $150 to $75, but it's still a, it's a, it's still a static product. It's just delivered online. So, um, and that was taking, and, and it was the first step, and it was a valid step. And what's so exciting about Flatworld, and one of the reasons that I, I left traditional publishing to go to, to Flatworld is that um, is that we took it one step further, and we took the content and we uh, we put it digital first. So all the it was all in XML. It was you could chunk it up down to the word level, as opposed to just look at a static piece of content, and um, and have again and just have to sift through all of the chapters. This was literally XML based, and you could uh, chop things up, move it around, only use what you needed. 
And so I think that's really where the online textbook is going. Is it's, it's really online content. I guess we were talking about the word content and kind of how broad it was and, and what an interesting word it was earlier. And essentially, it's, it's content now. It's not just what um, folks like, like me who create content, what we say it is. It could be um, content that we create. It could be content that an association creates. It could be Harvard business cases. It could be anything that you as the educator feel makes up your course. It's so, so where the online textbook is going is we're going away from the textbook and we're going down to content that is really student and educator focused. And really, um, so it really is, I think, based on the individual learner and their needs. Pam, I'd like to ask you a follow-up question, if I may. Industries die hard, and they fight to stay alive. Mm -hmm. So if you could share with our audience, both here in the studio and also online, what response has Flat World seen from traditional publishing houses and mm -hmm. textbook manufacturers? How are they responding to this threat from your technology? Traditional publishing companies are full of wonderfully smart people and creative ideas. So they're all working to figure this out, too. There's a, this is a big space with a lot of opportunity. I love that Flat World is, is small and nimble, and so we've been able to really be part of the solution early on and to, to adapt because it, the, this area is really in flux and things are changing all the time, and I love, again, that we're so nimble. The big companies um, are also going to figure it out. They're, um, they have a lot of resources, but it, it's really turning a very large ship around. So, so they have a lot of content and they have technology. It's a matter of changing a, a model that really is a print-first, uh, print-first uh, kind of page layout, beautifully designed textbook model, and turning and changing that. So it's just a, it's a big ask, um, but everybody's responding. Both the traditional publishers and then new companies are coming on the scene all the time in this space. Sometimes it seems one more question, Pam. I'm sorry, sure. just because you, you're you're sparking other thoughts of mine. Oh, which sure. are, um, sometimes it. The disruption has to come from outside the industry, right? Andy Grove said, and only the paranoid survive. Don't worry about the competitors that you're in the room. Worry about the people that are outside the walls that you don't <laughs> even know about. Sometimes sure. the entrenched uh, players can't get out of their own way because they have such an in embedded investment in the, in the traditional model. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the revolution that's happening with online learning and textbooks as far as being online, it, is that something that has to be forced from outside? Or do you think that maybe they'll at some time they'll either catch up or they'll acquire and then make it a part of their publishing empire. I think everybody everybody in the space knows this is where it's going. I think anybody who is paying attention to the customer knows that this is where it's going. I think uh, people will get there at different speeds. I think folks like Flatworld and, and others on the outside, as I mentioned, have the benefit of being a little bit more nimble. They can take some more chances. They can... Uh, tackle the space maybe in smaller bites because they aren't so big. So I do think that a lot of outside influences are driving um, are, are driving uh, driving this market. I do think that um, I think some of the smaller disruptors will make the whole industry better. Great, thank you for not only answering the first question but each of the series of following. Give her a round of applause for being a good, a good panelist. We're going to take our first commercial break here on Critical Mass Final Fridays live from Brandman University. And when we come back, we're going to ask Dean Salzman to answer a question. And, Nancy, I'm going to ask you to share with us from, from, a, from a university's perspective and a student's perspective, how is the fact that so much information is now available online, how is that challenging and changing the very nature of the educational experience that happens inside the classroom? Okay? 
Absolutely. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back after these words from our commercial sponsors on Critical Mass Radio Show, live from Brandman University. Commercial Bank of California, or CBC, is a well-funded, full-service bank located in the heart of Orange County. When it comes to safety and stability, CBC has one of the highest levels of capital of any commercial bank ranked in the top 6% in the nation. Commercial Bank of California was founded in 2003 by a group of Orange County's finest entrepreneurs. To this day, our bank is governed by our founders, including General William Lyon of William Lyon Homes, Alex Morello of the Morello Group, and Frank Willie of Fidelity National Financial, to name a few. In short, we are bank founded, built, and run by entrepreneurs, for entrepreneurs. Not every business in Orange County should be our customer. However, if your business is looking for a bank that can assist in finance, production, analytics, and risk management, there's no better bank to choose. To understand the true power of how Commercial Bank of California can help you achieve your goals, give us a call at 714-431-7000 or visit us on the web at www.combancal.com. Member FDIC. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's succession strategies Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture. Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104. Welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show, final Fridays live from Brandman University. (laughs) 
I'm your host, Rick Francie. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 12,400 shows in the last 30 days, and we've had, yay, and we've had over 48,000 visitors to our podcasting website during that time. So thank you. The month of April has been very powerful for us. We've exceeded half a million lifetime visitors to the website, and at 48,000 a month, we ought to be getting to a million sometime in a not-too-distant future, which will certainly be a milestone. And our target audience are CEOs of small and middle market companies. We call it lower middle market companies. We have a great panel for you today and a wonderful live audience live broadcasting from Brandman University, the Irvine campus of Brandman University. Uh, before the break, I said we were going to ask uh, Dean Salzman about uh, the educational experience. But one of the other things that we were talking about during the break was uh, sort of how the textbook is changing in the world of education. Nancy, could you start with that point first, please? Sure. So I just wanted to follow up on a couple of the really great things that Pam mentioned before the break um, about textbooks and online content and, um, and just information in general. And one of the things that we're realizing that we need to start doing is redefining each of those things and moving them forward as we move forward with different learning modalities. So textbook, those of us in my kind of age category, I suppose, um, and for those of you who are just listening and aren't seeing, that's like, you know, baby boomerish. You know, we think of textbook initially as that, as Pam said, you know, the traditional open it up on the table and it's got a cover and pages that you can touch and feel. But I think that we may want to start talking about textbook as content that's been vetted, legitimized in some fashion. And it doesn't matter that it's not inside covers that you can touch. It's online information we know there's so much information out there right now. You know, we're all busy, like, heading out to Google or whatever and, you know, checking every question that finding, as you said, a variety of answers. But the textbook in whatever format it's going to be, whether it's digitized, whether it's down to just the word, we know as educators that, or if we use the definition textbook, we can know as educators it's been vetted, it's been legitimized by somebody who is a source that, we know as an expert in the field that we're looking into. that, And some of that is just that critical thinking, being able to determine, and Sigmund, I think you brought this up, being able to determine, is this information that I should trust right. and move forward on? Or is it just information that you know got put up in a well-written piece but isn't necessarily vetted? Thank you, Nancy. Appreciate that. Now, let's, yes, sure, give her a round of applause. <laughs> That's our first answer. She deserves a little love from the audience. Hopefully you online are applauding as well. Uh, we can fill the good karma. So the question that I had before the break was, how is this dynamic, online knowledge, uh, textbooks coming not in a bound form any longer, uh, how is that changing the student experience for you as an educator here at Brandman University and probably parallels to other higher education institutions around the world? Well, we're lucky to be at Brandman where I feel like we're always on the cutting edge and really have moved into the online space in all sorts of ways, everything from competency-based on. Um, there's so much information right now between MOOCs and LOOCs and all sorts of other just information out there. Um, could, you, could you define what those were? Sure. I don't know that. Okay, MOOCs, Massive Online Open Course and Luke's are the little ones of those. Um, and, uh, and then just open sourceware and open courseware, which is information that's out there that 
can be picked up and put and utilized in any fashion by anyone. Online learning in a formalized fashion is reportedly growing at over 20% year over year right now. And 82% uh, of all pre-K through 12th grade um, districts actually have online learning for their students. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So with those students coming up into higher education, I think that we can safely surmise and assume that um, it's not going to be too many years and we're still all probably going to be in the workforce where 100% of all students or close to are going to be using some type of online learning in a formalized fashion. Um, and so what does that mean? That means that we need to be looking at, you know, what are textbooks? We need to be looking at how we're engaging online students. The corporate um, world is far ahead of us. They want us using online mechanisms because they are already trying to figure out how to have teams work seamlessly across geographies in online ways. So, you know, we have an opportunity to learn from the K-12 world. We have an opportunity to learn from the corporate world and an opportunity to start um, figuring out what our new roles are going to be. So it, I'm really excited to be at Bam and we've been able to do that for the last few years. Thank you, Nancy. A follow-up question. Does the the fact that so much information is independent now of the classroom experience for the instructors and professors at Brandman, is it more challenging? Because I would assume that students are more, uh, are more challenging of the professor because he or she is not the sole orator of the knowledge any longer. I can confirm your facts right as you're saying it with my smartphone. How does that change the learning experience for you in the classroom? Right. You can also confirm that I'm wrong right as I'm saying it. <laughs> yeah. And then it grows your credibility. And I've done that. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, and so we, I think we all need to recognize that. And, it, again, it goes back to something, Sigmund, that you said about critical thinking. And so it allows us to bring new elements into the classroom. And, and it's, not just one, it's not just a teacher anymore. We're not just um, up here being experts. Now everybody can be an expert and everybody can contribute. And, and we expect that. And, and I see a, a direct parallel for the listening audience who are CEOs of small and middle market companies. Uh, information that you're presenting to your employees can be verified and validated independently of you as the source as well, as well as the community can double-check your press releases and the rest of the things mm -hmm. you're saying. The world is a different place because the balance between the knowledge provider and the, the knowledge consumer has become more even because as a knowledge mm -hmm. consumer, you're not our sole point of information any longer. That's true. But you know what? That allows us to be more innovative too because there's more people out there with access to information and the ability to cull through that information and think about that information and have that prompt the next step and the next step and the next step. Excellent. Thank you very much. If I add something. Yes, please do, sir. Um, and in addition, there's the, um, the, the, the flipped classroom in K-12 where the, the non-dynamic lecture is what's recorded and watched offline or outside of the classroom, and then the classroom time is used for the more interactive problem-solving, explaining, I didn't understand this, let me help you through that. Do you actually do your homework in the classroom and your lecture at home? See, this is truly exciting to me because now you're starting to step into areas that I, the reason why we do the critical mass radio shows, and especially the final Fridays live from Brandman University. Uh, I believe in the, yes, I believe in the power of peer learning. And 
This allows the classroom experience to be much more collaborative, I would think, mm -hmm. and the, the, as you said, Nancy, you can be more creative as an instructor about the type of mm -hmm. exercises you get. Uh, and so I'm going to go off script a little bit, Kathy, and yeah. just ask from your wow. experience, because I know you're working mm -hmm. on some really advanced teaching methodologies, mm -hmm. can you share a little bit of how technology is allowing for better collaboration? Well, one of the things is, is as Nancy mentioned, now everybody has a good knowledge base because they've got the internet, they pulled off the information, they verified what the teacher is saying, but now you can take that to the next level and start critically thinking, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? Apply that to your working world. So in the world of adult learners, each of our students has, uh, usually has a job, they have experiences that they bring to the classroom. So now that you've got the base, you know, we build on that and make it so interactive that you're learning not just from the teacher, you're learning from everybody else. In an online modality, uh, a number of our classes use what's called Adobe Connect, which is an online webinar. So they're interacting with each other all the time, uh, discussion boards, et cetera. So we're pushing the envelope and actually making them think. And as we get our brain cells working, you know, we challenge what we see on the Internet, as Sigmund had said. Absolutely. So, you know, having more informed individuals really brings it forward. Thank you. So, I'd like to bring that down to Pam to ask you, as your firm, Flat World Knowledge, is, is looking at developing textbooks, for students to use that are online, how does this thought pattern go into how you, s the science behind how you design and engineer a book? Because it's no longer I'm going to go page to page, cover to cover, is it? I'm going to want to go out and, and look at a more holistic uh, view of the knowledge that's being presented to me. Well, exactly. And really, the, the phrase that we've been using is personalized learning at scale. And what that really is, is we've deconstructed the textbook. It's not about the textbook anymore. It's about um, a digital platform. So it's, a, it's mobile first. It's adaptive. It incorporates social learning. It provides phenomenal analytics. So gone are the days where you had a textbook, you took a test, and then your instructor knew how you did. Now we have powerful tools in our platform where you can see where the students were touching uh, the app, how long they were, were in a certain part of the, uh, the app, and so where they're doing their learning. Um, so we've really uh, we've adapted and evolved considerably. So from the beginning, we were working with, um, with a, a customized publishing platform where an instructor could go in and take textbook content and make it their own just on the fly, which was, which was very unique at the time. Um, and they could do it in you know half an hour, 15 minutes, and it was it was their book and it was geared to their class. So their student couldn't say, "Oh my goodness, I, bu I bought a 16 chapter book and only used 12 chapters." It really was um, adaptable, and uh, and you could do it very quickly. It was also at a very very fair price, significantly less than a traditional book. Now we've evolved. The market has has gone again to much more personalized learning. So we've developed a platform to put this great content in, but it's. Um, but what it does is it, it takes the, the uh, terrific content that, um, that was being in a traditional textbook, for instance, but it also takes things from the, from the Internet. It takes open source. It takes um, perhaps cases. It takes what the instructor is doing. It might take something regional in Southern California that's been ha a company in Southern California that is uh, doing something particularly interesting. And you can incorporate all of that right into the, into the online course. So it really is about delivering um, an experience that's for the student, not just saying, here's your resource, 
learn this. It really is your customized experience. Um, the, the faculty member designs, and it's geared to those particular students. Okay, so I've got to ask you another question. Sure. I just can't help myself today. I hope you don't mind. No, no, no. Um, but but uh, for those that are listening in the uh, live audience, either here in the room or on on the internet today, on octalkradio.net, our radio station, or maybe listening to us on iTunes as a podcast or Stitcher, um, and you run maybe manufacturing systems, we learned that the feedback from the process helps us to improve the process. What I heard you say is the system's able to learn in the personalized learning setting where the students are going to get information. That That's revolutionary, right? Because then I would think the producers of the content can then further refine the way they present the information because they're able to get direct feedback from the users of the information where they're going to get content. So how is that causing them to think even more outside the traditional box of a textbook and classroom setting? Well, I think there's in a lot of different ways. So, so I wanted to sort of step back for a second. And, and uh, Brandman, we're doing a wonderful project with Brandman in developing a competency-based uh, business administration program. And what's so wonderful about this is this is it's competency-based. So a student can go at their pace. It's about it's not about the credit hour. It's not about sitting in a classroom and following a syllabus for a semester. It's about uh, over a period of time going through competencies at your pace. So it adapts, to, it adapts to you. So you consume the information and you're assessed frequently throughout to prove that you're competent in that area and then you move forward. And Kathy might move really quickly on the accounting competencies, but I might have to take a lot of time and practice and go back to the formative assessments. Um, but perhaps in marketing, maybe I go a little bit faster. Um, but it adapts to both of our uh, backgrounds as... Um, particularly as adult learners. So we're bringing something more to the table. Um, and so, and then when I mentioned analytics, these programs are they're, they're, um, heavily, uh, heavily assessment-based. And so what we'll do is we'll, as we get results of those assessments, we can, they'll basically, we'll refine them as we get the results of students taking the assessments. We'll refine and essentially be building better and better and better assessments. Uh, we also, because the back end is a self-publishing platform, the faculty members who are creating the competencies can change things. Something might happen in Southern California that they want to add. It could be, you know what, uh, there's a new interesting case. And they can, again, adapt the content. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very cutting edge mm-hmm. um, and very, very current. So, um, so I think that we definitely are thinking much more about the individual students and their goals of becoming competent in an area, and ultimately for career readiness. It's really 75% of students would be classified as non-traditional right now. So you sort of think about, we all might think about the four-year private school uh, experience that, but it really is the bulk of the market is, it would be classified as a non-traditional learner. And these kinds of programs are really geared for, particularly the adult learner, or the, re- the returning student, um, and we can really, really iterate as we go with this, with this group and make the content better. Thank you. Simon, did you want to add something? Yeah, just a quick um, addition to that. When you say going at your own pace, there's a, there's a side effect that's notable, which is that the quantity that you consume will change. So if you get it quickly, I'm going to read every page of the accounting part. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the, the quantity of the textbook that when you're running at your own pace that you consume will be different, mm-hmm. and that affects the design of the textbook as well. Excellent. Let's give our panel a round of applause for the content they're giving out here today on Critical Mass Radio Show, final Friday live from Brandman University. Um, based on the, 
the conversation we're having, I, I, I had to ask another question, and this is sort of of the, of the educators in the room, our mm-hmm. Brandman panelists, which is when we're looking at competency-based education and what I'm actually learning, how does that cause you to have to think about changing the requirements, the curriculum? It's no longer as standardized, right? Mm-hmm. It's no longer take these steps, get this result, get this degree. Mm-hmm. It's much more of an interactive, iterative mm-hmm. type of process. How do you measure, uh, comparatively speaking, mm-hmm. two students who are going through uh, competency-based education at their own pace and de- delivering the knowledge that they're most interested in or able to adapt and adopt to? Mm-hmm. Well, let me um, mention, this is Kathy Margolin, uh, me- mention how we designed it. We actually took one of the government databases, the ONET database of jobs that our graduates would be getting and came up with the knowledge, skills, and abilities that are needed for that job. So we backward designed it into the program. So you may have a traditional degree that, you know, at a, another university may not have been updated in, you know, 5, 10, 20 years. We've now put in things that are needed in the marketplace like global economics global gee is anything global anymore obviously the internet is so there are things that are built into that degree that we haven't you haven't seen before so how do you know two students do the same thing when they're going competency based education because they actually have to prove that they know things they take a final assessment and when they pass that whether it be developing a business plan. These are actual, real-life summative assessments that they have to do that that they may be doing in the real world. Um, And they pass those. They go forward. They work on the next competencies. Dr. Salzman? Yeah, I just want to add. um, So the students that will be going through the competency-based education programs will actually receive two transcripts. One is the standard transcript, so if it's a Bachelor's of Business Administration, it'll show that they've attained the Bachelor's of Business Administration. The second is a competency-based transcript, and Kathy, feel free to Mm -hmm. jump in any time, that will actually show the competencies. So if I'm an employer, that competency-based education transcript really shows me in a granular fashion this person has demonstrated that they have mastered the ability to build a project plan, that they have mastered the ability to build a budget, to read a um, profit and loss statement, versus so, so there's great demonstration of mastery and, and good accountability. The transcript that says that they've attained the BBA, that's fabulous, but as an employer, I'm not sure exactly all the time what does the Brandman BBA mean versus the University A, B, or C BBA. I'm assuming that they're similar, but that competency-based education transcript really tells me what that person can do. Thank you. Yeah, I was going to say another thing that um, the to pass a competency, you have to pass it at 80% or better. So you could be getting somebody with a Bachelor's of Business Administration who got all Ds from some other university, and they still get the same degree. Wouldn't you want somebody who knows things specific to the job that you're going to be hired for, does not need to be retrained because they've been through these competencies, knowledge, skills, and abilities, and they've proven that they've mastered it. So, they, But, again, each person goes through at their own pace. So if you know you have somebody who 
is a small business owner and he knows a lot of business, he'll go really fast through the business section, but he'll pick up a lot of things that, you know, maybe he didn't pick up on before from a learned perspective. Now he knows a few more theories and practice that. So you're adding to everybody's knowledge. Right. Thank you very much. Again, let's give them a round of applause. For those of you that are here live in the studio in the classroom at Brandman University on their Irvine campus, you see sitting here to my left, Asia Celestino. Asia is our marketing strategist for Critical Mass for Business, and she mentioned to me that she has a question that came to her from our listeners online. So I'm going to ask Asia to ask the question of the panel, and then panel will let you answer it as you see fit, okay? Hi, panel. Uh, this is from Shannon in Orange, California. With services like FlatWorld, do you see higher education experiences moving completely online for certain majors or areas of study? I guess I'll... I'll Would you like to start? I'll start. All right, then. Uh, I, I do see... I can speak from our experience in that we definitely, um, as I mentioned, we develop digitally first, but we have offered over the years a print option, and we've seen... Uh, folks choosing to purchase the digital option um, at a significant rate uh, to the print textbook. So you know, I'm not you know, one to say that the print book is, is totally going away. Some people really like the portability of, a, of, a print pro- of any kind of print product, but I do think that um, in a lot of cases we are moving to a more digital, uh, digital format. You know, we're, the Bremen program that we're developing in partnership with the wonderful faculty mm-hmm. here at Bremen is a, is a mobile app. And so the whole thing will be delivered via mobile app, and it will be adaptive with social um, and great analytics. And it is, um, and it's not a print product. So it's definitely, uh, we're definitely going in that direction. It's, it's uh, both addresses affordability and accessibility. So it's definitely where things are going. Yeah, and I see a lot of things going online just because you have the flexibility of ha- access 24-7 wherever you are. If you have a five minutes you know, while you're waiting in line at the food court or whatever, you can you could be reading your class. You know, it's so nice to be able to read it on your phone, to read your book. Oh, yeah, I got a few minutes here, you know, extra lunch hour. I don't want to have to carry that book anymore. So with the adaptation of social media and uh, everything that the new texts, the new textbooks are bringing in and the online the connectivity, uh, it's a great flexibility for anybody who's working or, or has an odd schedule. Yeah, um, yeah, I think I heard in the question about actual courses being entirely online, mm-hmm. and uh, that's happening now. I mean, mm-hmm. I know people taking a graduate degree, um, and the whole cohort is online, the whole class is online. They use Adobe Connect or mm-hmm. other ways to have uh, cohort meetings. I mean, they're doing it now. Mm-hmm. And the nice part about that is um, our society is still fairly mobile. And back in the day, if you were partway through a program and you moved to another state, you were hoping that your classes would transfer to, and now you just finish it where you are. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it, uh, but th- that's happening now. So uh, I, I don't see it stopping or actually even slowing down. That really changes the uh, competitive nature of higher education mm-hmm. then, too, doesn't it? I can yeah. keep the student through the entire program, even if they move to Alaska. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not limited by the colleges and universities that are in my locale. I can true. choose right. to go anywhere I want for the education that I need. You're, you're yeah, I was going to say, we have a lot of military students who 
I had one that was in Rome, and I go, gee, can you take me? <laughs> Nancy, is there anything else you'd like to add to the conversation that we had? If not, it's fine, but I just wanted you to give the opportunity to, to comment on the question that came online. No, I'll take, I'll take the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I agree that what we're seeing is more and more movement to online. But, and even in classes that are staying in the traditional on-ground format, mm-hmm. there are always there are online elements to it, online options. Mm-hmm. So whether you're actually going to, getting in the car, going to a classroom where everyone's sitting around you, or you're fully online, you're going to have an online experience, and it's moving more and more in that direction. I like that we're inventing new words. On ground. That's a new one for me. I like that. Okay. <laughs> yes, Pam. I just please. wanted to also just piggyback to something that, that, um, that Nancy mentioned. It just, just kind of got me thinking about how it, it's not just uh, students choosing a different uh, modality from the on ground, to use Nancy's word, or a hybrid of, of both, or purely online, for instance, like the program that we're working with Bremen, but it's also opening, this is going to open the door for thousands and thousands of students who haven't had the opportunity to take any courses because there are some students who just either for financial reasons or for um, accessibility reasons have been really underserved and programs like competency-based education that are purely online are really going to actually just increase the uh, the number of students who can can move into higher education. I think that's the really exciting part. It isn't just people choosing one or the other. It's going to open the door for thousands of new students to be able to get an education um, at an affordable price. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take our second commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show, Final Fridays Live from Brandman University. So if you're listening online or as a podcast, don't go anywhere because we're going to be back in less than three minutes from the Irvine campus of Brandman University. <laughs> When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. If you are an Orange County CEO or a business owner, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have had these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions through the power of peer learning. 
supports are groups of peers who are running businesses just like you. CEO Peer Groups provides a great sounding board to test fresh ideas and new concepts, review your strategic plans and tactical goals, and present issues and opportunities for a critical discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, and improved business results. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn about our CEO Peer Groups. CEO Peer Groups is a registered trademark of Critical Mass for Business. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show, Final Fridays Live from Brandman University. We're broadcasting live from the Irvine campus of Brandman University. Our panel discussion today is exploring the role of technology in higher education. You know, our audience demographic is 98% business owners and executives who listen to learn from the experiences of our panelists. If your firm is interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on the radio show may be the answer. Last month, our sponsors gained valuable exposure through their support of our program. We've delivered over 37,000 highly targeted sponsor impressions last month. If you're an advertiser and you'd like to learn more about it, contact our VP of Sales, Rose Chamora, at 951-515-4661. That's 951-515-4661. Okay, we're in our third and final session here in Critical Mass Radio Show Live from Brandman University. We do op- open it up to the audience that's here in the studio. If you have a question, raise your hand, come up, stand by me, and you can ask any of the panel your question. We're also continuing to take them from the live listening audience, and Asia has a couple questions in the queue that we're going to get to. So I'd like to start off with another question that Asia Celestino, our media marketing strategist, has for our panel. This question was emailed in from Tim in Paradise Valley, Arizona. I am a boomer. Call me closed-minded, but is there a line regarding the use of technology in the education system? What is too much? So what is too much technology in education? Is uh, Would anybody like to take a bite of that apple? <laughs> and thank you for, commi- for bringing your, your question to us. Um, uh, nothing. <laughs> You know, there. I think the biggest thing, like like the quote from Abraham Lincoln, I mean, the the thing about uh, what what is and isn't uh, valid or vetted, I like that word too, um, on the internet is is key. But for the experience of learning, for teaching, um, I think technology will. I don't know that there's any parts of technology that we're going to abandon. I mean, from video to audio to uh, 
live streaming. Um, it's all it's all part of the education experience. We normally learn in a very dynamic, active environment. I mean, from age zero on up, everything that's happening around you is happening without a filter. And uh, the Internet just expands that environment significantly. Anyone else want to address the question? I've got a comment. This is Nancy. Um, I think that one of the things that we've learned at Brandman is that we need to recognize that there's all different comfort levels, that technology is going to continue to be used in the classroom. There are going to be online elements and um, online pieces to basically every class, but we know that every learner is a different type of learner. And we need to respect that, and we need to provide, and we do provide the scaffolding that is required so that every learner has an opportunity to have the most engaging, best educational experience that they can have. And so we need to, and we do, build in orientations and different ways that you can choose to learn the same information so that... Even a class that a cohort is going through is a class that can be individualized and customized in order to respect the different types of learning. And you can add a visual component or an audio component or a text component for the different types of learners. I think that's key. Okay. And and we also add, um, as you mentioned, uh, Sigmund, Kathy here, um, the different types of learner also could be um, our disabled veterans. Sure. So we also build that into our courses because we need to um, consider them in, and they have different needs also. So that's one of the things that we consider. All right, let's take Tim, Tim's question uh, to, another, to another level then. And uh, right now, Brandman is in a wonderful partnership with Flatworld on bringing new technology to learning and aid learning. But what if through this learning that your students do through Flatworld's technology, the realization comes, I can get my knowledge without going to Brandman. I, right here is the information. Is there, a, is there a worry in the higher world of higher education that technology is such a disruptive influence that the day may come when students choose their own form of education independent of your, your creditions and your, your organization? Is that a worry at all at some level within is that, I'd like to start with you yes. since you are the disruptive influence. Yeah, I'd like to speak to that. Um, no, I think I want to be really, really clear in that it's a partnership. So we're really facilitating this uh, abil- the, for the Brahmin student. Um, you know, Brahmin has a phenomenal reputation as you know w- with adult learners and, and already doing fantastic work uh, in the online um, arena. And this is taking it one step further. And really, Flatworld is helping to, f- to facilitate that. We're not in place of the competency-based program is being built in absolute partnership with Brahmin faculty. So it's it's uh, content and um, assessments that are being developed. Uh, with the subject matter experts that are the Brandman faculty. So it really isn't, it's, it's the institutional partners, the institutional innovators uh, that are um, really crafting what's inside the platform. So we're there to facilitate, to enable, to, to, uh, to partner, but it really is the faculty member who knows their student most closely, who also knows their um, their, uh, the, the businesses in the community. Obviously, there's a lot of outreach going on um, with, uh, with businesses in the community. So they know their markets, and we're here to really help uh, bring that to life. 
So you're not a Trojan horse then? <laughs> no. no. Yeah. Um, this is Kathy. One of the other things that you have to realize is we can be the innovator, but the world out there may not be as innovative as we are. So there is still a perception that to get XYZ job, you do need a bachelor's degree. You do need an MBA. So to change the mindset of employers to accept all the different learning does take quite a bit of time. So oh, Yeah, speaking from the business side, because yes. that's where I am, um, somebody comes to me and says, I'm a self-taught .NET programmer. Yeah, no. <laughs> Sorry. Um, there's, a, there's, there's an expectation and a real one, I mean, and a fact-based one, that the completeness is going to come from instruction, not from self. I can find information online, but that doesn't mean I know enough of the whole picture. I need that mentor. I need that expert. I need the coursework to really learn, and there's no way I'd hire someone who's self-taught. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Final thought? I was... I was pretty much going to say what Sigmund said, um, and it, no, I'm glad that you did, and, and just take it to kind of another real life experience. I mean, we've all walked around an art museum, let's say, or the Natural History Museum, read the little signs and filled in the blanks ourselves and maybe looked things up on our phones as we did it, and then had the opportunity to do the same thing with the docent who filled in the blanks and more for us, and sure. so to me... That's recognition that, you know, I can go out there and get all sorts of information on my own, but to really be prompted through a thought process to really understand, I want that expert, and that's what prov the formalized education mm -hmm. provides with the overlay, overlaying it on all of that information that's out there. That was a very good point. Thank you, Nancy. Mm -hmm. uh, Kathy? Yeah, is, is, uh, thank you. Yay. Uh, as Sigmund has said before, uh, as Abraham Lincoln said, you believe yeah. everything that, that somebody tells you. Uh, yes, mm -hmm. I learned it on the Internet. Um, that's one of the reasons why having a vetted degree program or uh, credits or competencies that shows that you've learned something is valuable to your employer. Excellent. We have another question coming from the uh, Internet, and so I'm going to have Asia come back up and do it again. Maybe it's uh, Jamie and Corona, as educators and experts, how do you advise parents to incorporate tech in their kids' education? How do you advise parents to include technology in their children's education? One of the things, um, this is Kathy, one of the things that I would recommend, we all, one of the things from an education perspective is we are seeing that they, students are, using Twitter as Twitter speak, so to speak. Tweet uh, speak, yes. Try to have them um, learn as much technology as they can, be mobile warriors, so to speak, but also make sure that they learn the new technology and learn to communicate. Learn to not only communicate via technology, but also via person to person. How many times have you... Uh, sat down at a table with some friends. Oh, all they do is sit and text everybody else. Are they talking to the people at the table? So we still need to learn real communication. So uh, technology is great, but we need both. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I'm going to, uh, one word answer, question. Teach your kids to question what they find online. 
mm-hmm. um, to cooperate, to look up the links, to look up, you know, who is not just what they're saying, but who it is who's saying it um, can give you some background. Uh, my son told me that in college, he learned the, the real use of Wikipedia isn't reading the definition. It's going to the source material at the bottom because that's where you get the real information, um, something that he's kept, you know, since he, you know, after he left. But so that's if the thing about technology, things will always change. Find a way to, to use it, but also don't accept it all. So question. I, and teenagers are good at that anyway. So, I, I, You took the words out right out of my mouth. <laughs> I was just speaking as a parent of a, of a elementary school age child who is just starting to use technology in the classroom, and I applaud my district for their use of technology. Um, but I think the, the thing that's always on my mind is, is teaching him to think critically when he sees right. something. It's the what's vetted. Just because somebody put it up there doesn't mean that it's, it's accurate, doesn't mean that right. it's appropriate, doesn't mean it's really about becoming a really good critical thinker and being able to, to discern um, what's credible and, and what's not. Just, and just a quick addition, technology is a tool. It is only a tool. Don't let it be anything ever more than a tool. You choose to use a tool for certain things and choose not to use a tool for certain things. You know, you don't always need a hammer. They're going to say, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Exactly. Um, so <laughs> I'm full of pithy saints. Anyway, yeah. um, but it is just a tool, so treat it like that. Don't overuse it. Don't over underuse it. Well, and the other thing I would like to bring forward, Kathy, here is make sure that you adopt the new technology and that they get used to change mm-hmm. because technology is ever-changing. And as they get used to technology change, they'll get used to change in their environment. And having the flexibility and adaptation uh, will stand them in good stead in the future. You know, to put all of that together, the discussion and questioning and using it just as a tool, Sigmund brought up flipped classroom a little while ago. And if you've got a child who's in the K-12 world, you're definitely hearing about flipped flipped classroom. If you're in higher ed, you're probably engaged in a flipped classroom kind of scenario. The dinner table is the perfect place for the flipped classroom. That whatever your child's been doing all day via technology, bring it to the dinner table and have a discussion and bring in that the questions and the critical thinking and the expectations as to how you expect them to be asking questions. But you're just mimicking the flip classroom. They'll be really comfortable with it. It's what they're doing in their own um, K-12 or higher ed classrooms. All right. Thank you very much for that rich conversation. I appreciate that. You're listening to Critical Mass Radio Show, Final Fridays Live from Brandman University. I'm your host, Rick Franzi. We're having a panel discussion today about exploring the role of technology in the future of higher education. And I want to start with the industry folks first and then pick up the uh, higher education folks second on this question. Earlier we talked about how uh, technology is allowing people to have access to information and education, uh, the Strom, disabled veterans, etc. I'm also thinking outside of the United States because through Spreaker.com we're reaching the globe now uh, directly in Europe and other parts of the world with a much higher 
concentration of mobile technology in developed, quote unquote, developing countries. From a technology and an industry perspective, how do you see what, what's going on with technology in higher education, expanding the information to people that previously wouldn't have access to it because they're in remote parts of the world or parts of the world that don't even have the infrastructure of a higher educational system? Is this a disruptive influence that could change mankind in a way beyond what we've talked about here as is affecting the United States and North America. So I'd like the technologists and the industry people to speak first, okay. and then we'll have the educators talk. Okay, well, information is the most disruptive thing we have. And control of information is usually a, the, the first order of, of a ruling party, whatever it is. So, yeah, the access to information is going to be threatening to a lot of people. And uh, there's no stopping it. So once once you have the Internet access, um, the education is going to happen. And, and I, I'm really hopeful for that because I think if we all understand all the same things, we're going to get along better. <laughs> I mean, it's when we have – we both look at the same thing and call it something different is when we get into arguments. So I really think that um, the developing countries are, are going to get run over by it. Mm-hmm. In a positive um, way. In a positive – yes. I right. mean, well – for the masses, yes. Right. For mankind. They know it's good for the art. Yeah, right. Yeah, for the, for the top 0.02%, less so, but for the rest of us, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, and that, and that um, we are the masses, right? So when the masses all understand, understand something together, then they move together. So. Right. Mm-hmm. So the Thomas, it was Thomas Friedman's mm-hmm. book, I believe, The World is Flat. Yes. And it, I don't know how close that's aligned with the... Uh, flat world education or not, but the concept, it certainly resonates with the concept of kind of having a flat world now where everything is on the same plane. Can you share a little bit from your perspective what your company is talking about? Are you looking beyond the United States and North America as an opportunity for your technology? Uh, absolutely. We, we already do have uh, folks in, in uh, other countries using uh, our flat world product for this very reason, that it is a digital first product. And, um, and so we do, we have reached outside North America um, already uh, in the in the last in our in the last three to four years of our you know since we've been um, been building our product and the new competency based program and our, our our mobile app platform I I, I think it'll be nothing short of explosive I think the opportunity um, again because it is it is purely online I think it's going to open the door uh, to so many learners who've not had the opportunity and there's so many there's millions of people who are hungry for this. Um, so I do think it's, it's going to be explosive. I think, it's, as you said, they're going to be run over in a positive way. I think it's, it's fantastic. I think it's an incredible mission. It makes me feel good about, about being in this space because um, it's not just about, yes, it's going to be improving the situation for uh, learners in this country, but the, the reach that it's going to have is going to be massive, and it's, it's thrilling to be part of it. So do you see the day, Nancy, where someone in Africa or Asia is getting a Brandman degree because of the revolutionary work that you're doing here with competency-based education, online textbooks? Absolutely. And you know what? In this morning's L.A. Times, which I read online, um, (laughs) does it even come on anybody's doorstep anymore? Um, They were talking about the initiative that Tanzania and Tangiers, just um, their governments just published. That's an educational initiative Mm -hmm. that now with the advent of so much online education, formalized education available, they are working to make that accessible and to make that 
an important piece of their population's um, push for over the next five years and are putting money towards that. So I wouldn't be at all surprised to find somebody from one of those places in one of our courses. And as both Pam and Sigmund have said, I, I see it just as an opportunity because the more we're opening up the world, the more everybody is understanding and having access to the same information and learning to work with and appreciate and understand and respect people across diverse geographies um, with diverse backgrounds. And that's how global corporations are working now. So that the workforce that's coming into those um, organizations needs to be able to work that way. Kathy, would you like to ask your final thoughts on that? Well, I was going to say, uh, one of the advantages to the competency-based education degree is about half the price of a normal degree, so it makes it much more accessible to people in any country. Mm-hmm. So, um, as I've said before, we have a number of military people in, like, Afghanistan or whatever taking our degree programs. As they, as other people see uh, them taking those courses, uh, I think our uh, the word will spread, and as I say, access to the internet. A lot of the dictators have tried to, uh, uh, I would say, fasten right. that down. <laughs> um, but it's amazing what the internet has done for globalization of knowledge. So, and I see the same thing happening with universities. Excellent content. Thank you very much. We're going to take our third and final commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show live from Brandman University. This is our final Friday's version. We're here in the Irvine campus of Brandman University, and we're back for the final segment. So don't go anywhere because we're going to have final thoughts, but we also have a couple other interesting questions. And for those of you that are listening online live today, if you'd like to participate, continue to talk with Asia, and Asia will be your spokesperson here in the room. We'll be right back after these words from our commercial sponsors. There's something positive about the word up. When things are looking good, they're looking up. When someone's down, you cheer them up. So how do you move up? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up, Brandman University. Brandman is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top ten universities for online bachelor's programs. Brandman's online graduate programs in business and education also receive top honors. So look us up at brandman.edu. Brandman University. Move up. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture. 
Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104. Commercial Bank of California, or CBC, is a well-funded, full-service bank located in the heart of Orange County. When it comes to safety and stability... CBC has one of the highest levels of capital of any commercial bank ranked in the top 6% in the nation. Commercial Bank of California was founded in 2003 by a group of Orange County's finest entrepreneurs. To this day, our bank is governed by our founders, including General William Lyon of William Lyon Homes, Alex Morello of the Morello Group, and Frank Willie of Fidelity National Financial, to name a few. In short, we're bank founded, built, and run by entrepreneurs, for entrepreneurs. Not every business in Orange County should be our customer. However, if your business is looking for a bank that can assist in finance, production, analytics, and risk management, there's no better bank to choose. To understand the true power of how Commercial Bank of California can help you achieve your goals, give us a call at 714-431-7000 or visit us on the web at www.combancal.com. Member at the IC. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show, live from Brand New University. This is our final Fridays, and we have a studio audience here in the classroom in the Irvine campus of Brand New University. I am your host, Rick Franzi. We have a panel, and we've been discussing today exploring the role of technology in the future of higher education. I'd like to start by asking each member of the panel here on my smartphone, which you in the studio can see, and those of you online will be able to see in the video, I have a website, Coursera, and they're saying take the world's best content online for free. Can we discuss how initiatives like Coursera.org and others are influencing what's going on in higher education? And I'd just like to open it up to any member of the panel who would like to contribute. I'll start. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So Coursera, um, edX, there's a variety of MOOCs. MOOC platforms, um, and, you know, I see those as positives, and I'm not, and, and there are challenges with the fact that they're out there and, and they're free, but they are opening up the idea of education to people who in the past may never have thought about, there's a way to learn, and I'm comfortable with learning this way. They are also opening up opportunities for Corporations, other organizations, to bring workforce development to their um, to their workforce, and what we're finding is that they're often the first step. So they become an opportunity for us after that first step, and that's fine. And by us, I mean higher education, formalized education. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the School of Extended Education in, at Brahman University, we've got a corporate training division. And we provide um, corporate training, customized solutions for organizations uh, across the world. And um, 
what we're finding more and more is that we're walking into situations where the organization's leadership is saying to us, okay, we're already providing A, B, and C, but we really need D, E, and F. And so then we start talking, and how are you getting A, B, and C? And some of them are using MOOCs, and they're finding that that's working. But that – and – then, but so we'll say so. Then why are you not using that for DE and F? Because we want to know, you know, what is our competition out there? They'll say, well, they gave a great introduction. They brought our workforce to a point where they are comfortable with utilizing online learning technologies. They're learning that they can learn, um, and there is some good information out there in those MOOCs. It's just another question of vetting and who produced that MOOC and who's the expert whose content is, is utilized and, um, and, and is it up to date, which is a big issue with some of the MOOCs. I'm just making sure that it's those things and questioning. But there's, there's good information out there and, and we're incorporating it because it is part of what's out there. Well, and, and businesses learned a long time ago that you can give away part of what you do. And your business will increase. I mean, it, it, it doesn't. It, it may be counterintuitive, but over and over and over, businesses learn. If I give away, if I tell everybody, this is how you make it. Build a cabinet. I'll give you the full instructions on how to build a cabinet. And by the way, I'm a cabinet builder. Your business will increase. You'll be viewed as a as an expert. And oh my God, that's hard. And will you build one for me? So you know, in education. They get a piece, and it's free, but now I want the real thing. So you know, the business view is, that's a great idea. Yeah, it gets them used to using online tools, uh, taking an online course, because you don't have any skin vested in the game, you know, because it's free, but you're also taking it with, you know, 14,000 other people. <laughs> so you don't get a lot of the attention from the instructor, but if that's something you need, then you can try that for free and see if that's what you what works for you or does that modality not work for you so it gives you something to try just think of it as the trial balloon so and it gets it adds to the knowledge of everybody out there so that's a good thing i'll just i'll i'll wrap up i think um i i really um i, I like what nancy said about um Students kind of kind of prepping them, and, and Kathy also sort of prepping folks, and maybe the next step is going to be going to more to to more of a traditional higher education uh, space. And what we're what we're seeing with the MOOCs is that that marketplace tends to be a well-educated uh, body, motivated. They know how they learn. They're not looking. They don't need necessarily to learn the critical thinking skills and to have sort of how to be a learner. They already know that. And they have a, typically they have a strong um, academic foundation. So things like Coursera, Udacity, edX, those. Uh, there's also another um, a part to this space, which is the non-EDUs, uh, lynda.com and General Assembly and things like that, where um, they're really reaching a lot of users, sort of similarly in the market, uh, folks who know how they learn, want to get information, and you know they just they're finding it uh, quickly and cheaply, and they just so they want to get in, they want to get out, and so I think I, I'm all for all of these modalities and these uh, these these trends, and I do think that ultimately they, in many cases, do lead to then maybe a, a, a higher degree or a finished degree. So I think it's they all have value. Um, in the marketplace, I do think that something like a MOOC has very low—it's very low, low cost, but also low personalization. And then something mm-hmm. like 
um, at Amherst College or Middlebury College. That's got a very high cost, but it also has very high personalization. You've got very small classes. You get a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. And so what's really exciting right now is that you've got competency-based education, which I think is, is addressing both. You're going to get high personalization, mm-hmm. but you're also going to get low cost. So I think it's sort of the best of, of both, if you will. So I do think that all of the, the various uh, modalities have value. Thank you very much. That was a good conversation. We're wrapping up now here on you're listening to Critical Mass Radio Show, Final Fridays Live from Brandman University. I'm your host, Rick Franzi. We've had a thoughtful conversation for the past 80 minutes or so about technology, exploring the role of technology in the future of higher education. Uh, i am uh, been around the educational system long enough to remember the concept of distance learning, which was always kind of an oddity back the day before technology made it so, so interactive, right? It was sort of phone-based education or something. It, was, it wasn't, wasn't normal, right? Mm-hmm. But it sounds like to me from this conversation that this online collaborative model is, is, is insinuating itself so much into education that it's, it may someday become the dominant vehicle and com- certainly complementary. So I'd like final thoughts, and, and we can start either way. We'll just kind of walk down the panel. Um, maybe I'll start down on this end with you, Pam, if that's okay. Sure. And could you just give us kind of your final thoughts for our audience about how the evolution of technology and its effect on future of higher education, what do you see in the future as we, we talked about what we've talked about so far, but can you give us your final thoughts on where the future is going and how technology is impacting higher education? Sure. Um, this has been really fun, by the way. Thanks for the opportunity to, to, to uh, take part. Um, I think we're going to be much more uh, consumer-based. I think a student ha- is really savvy. I think it was, it's, it's less about, I think, a student going off to a four-year school um, and having a very traditional experience now that's valid and wonderful and, and important. But I also think, as I mentioned, the numbers worldwide that kind of student is a very small slice of the pie right now. And so I really think that there's a a fantastic opportunity uh, to reach so many students um, and uh, in in the marketplace. So I do feel like technology is, as I mentioned, opening up both from an accessibility and an affordability place. It's it's a wonderful, I'm so thrilled to be in this space because it's changing so quickly, but it is becoming much more, a consumer focus. So a student is telling us what they need to know, and typically it's right now in this in this market, it is what their employers need. So it's less about getting uh, liberal arts are very important. I was a history major. I, I think it's very important, but I also know that right now there are thousands and thousands of of uh, potential students who are really thinking about what's a skill or set of skills. Uh, or degree that I can get to make me more marketable and to help me either get a promotion or get a different job. And so I feel like we're really thinking about um, user-centered design. We're thinking about the student as the end user. Um, and so I really feel like um, it's it's a really wonderful trend. I feel like it's also uh, per- the personalization piece of it. We're really making a product that is geared to each individual, and it's going to get them to where they specifically need to go. And in most cases, it's helping them with their career. Kathy? I was going to say, Pam said it excellently. Um, One of the things that I'd like to uh, impart on everybody is that no matter, you know, as your kids are growing up, uh, to the one uh, listener that was talking about their elementary school student, things will change. What we think is technology today in higher education, three years it will be something else. Could be, you know, the the Google glasses, 
you know, you could have an embedded chip in your head, whatever. Uh, and then they just download the books, and all of a sudden it just appears in your brain. Now, that would be great. Um, but, you know, technology is great because it's ever-changing. And higher education has evolved to embrace it. And that's one of the things that I think um, at Brandman we've uh, done a fair, uh, a very good job at is embracing that technology and bringing it to people and giving them the, having the Internet. What did we do, BC, BG, before Google, right? Think about it. What did you do before Google? Uh, but you also have to vet your sources. Make sure, as, as Sigmund had said, you know, use your critical thinking. Um, make sure that you have um, adequate resources. Uh, and, and there's just so much out there. It's just it's like a kid in a candy store. So enjoy. Thank you, Sigmund. Before Google, I used AltaVista. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a fast-changing world out there. Um, things are moving very... You can't teach the same thing two years in a row anymore. Um, I speak on social media, and the PowerPoint I create is a one-off. The minute I'm done, I throw it away because three weeks later, it's different. Um, so courses need to be rapid. get into the rapid development that we do in industry now. So parts are interchangeable, easily update. And I think that's one of the critical things coming. I have my three E's of higher education. Embrace change, uh, engage with the students, and enjoy the experience. And that's where I think we're headed. Well, I don't know if I could say it any better than that, but I just see technology as an opportunity and a challenge for all of us to embrace, it is fast moving, it is always changing, but it is allowing us to access geographies and groups of people we never were able to team with before and that we now have that opportunity to do. It allows us access to information that we never had before, that now we have at our fingertips, and allows us access to experts in just a wide variety of fields that we didn't necessarily have access to before. If that particular expert was not in your town where your university campus was, they weren't going to be your guest lecturer. And now it doesn't matter where in the world that person or that piece of information is coming from or that team member is, we're, we're all connected. And so it's a very exciting time. I'd like to thank the panel collectively for the content and their time today being on the Critical Mass radio show live from Brandman University. This is our final Fridays. We're broadcasting from the Irvine campus of Brandman University. I'd like you in the audience and maybe you online that are listening live to give a round of applause for them individually. First one is Nancy Salzman. She's the Dean of Extended Education at Brandman University. Nancy, thank you for your time. To her left is Sigmund Fitke. He is CTO of Chick Labs, LLC. Sigmund, thank you very much. <laughs> Our returning panelist is Kathy Margolin. She's Associate Dean at Brandman University. Thank you, Kathy. <laughs> and that, last but not least, coming all the way from New York and New Jersey is Pam Hirschberger. She is the VP of Content for Flat World Education. Give them all a round of applause. <laughs> You'll be able to, if you're listening to this live and you'd like others to hear the content, we will have it up on our, our podcasting site, which you can find at criticalmass4forbusiness.com. 
Also, this video will be available on our YouTube channel, which is Richard Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I. That's the current name for our YouTube channel. It'll be up there shortly if you want to watch it, not just listen to it. I'd like to thank today our engineer for the show, Paul Roberts from octalkradio.net, allowing us to stream this simulcast live, as well as Asia Celestino, who is our marketing strategist and responsible for helping to put this event on. Let's give it up for Asia. As I said, this is our finals Friday live show. We'll be doing this again next month at the end of June. The last Friday in June, we'll be back here at Brandon University, their Irvine campus, for the Critical Mass radio show, Final Fridays live from Brandon University. This is your host, Rick Franzi, saying until the next time we have a chance to talk, here's hoping that all of your decisions will move your business in a positive direction. You've been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Final Fridays Live from Brandman University. This show was live in front of an audience of CEOs and executives from the Southern California business community with your host, Richard Franzi. 